Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning, and welcome to Military Network Radio. We have a very important show for you today, and we're going to run this show in a roundtable format so that you can truly hear all of the commentary, the background, and the importance of what we will be discussing today, which is the burn pits. Some people know what this is, others do not, and we're titling this show Burn Pits, The Facts and the Future. We have just amazing guests with us today, all experts in this area, and I'm joined today by co-host Les Davis. Good morning, Les. Thanks very much. We're having some technical difficulties. We'll be right back. We're joined today by Lauren Price, a Navy veteran, CEO of Veteran Warriors, and a sufferer of the burn pits, Ben Krause, an investigative reporter, attorney, and veterans advocate, and we hope to be joined by Maria Baca, who's a caregiver for Senior Master Sergeant Jesse Baca. And we will be talking today about burn pits. And for those of you unfamiliar with the term, burn pits refers to the open-air burning in the desert generally of plastics, medical waste, trash, but it creates fumes that most scientists say are new, unique compounds that are very toxic to humans. And so the cause of this concern rose in 2008 when the expected rate of respiratory conditions was much higher than anticipated. And so this frequent exposure caused a lot of problems. And we're here to talk today about where we are, what are the facts, how did it start, what's going on in the future, what can we do to help, and what is being done for everyone with this problem, of which we've got some amazing fun. So, Lauren, why don't you give it a start? Talk more about the background of the burn pits. What is it, and when did it begin? Burn pits actually have been used for decades uh, by the Department of Defense. It is a common manner of trash disposal in combat zones, in theater, the problem with it is is that the Army regulations actually state in their log cap contracts, which we will explain those later on, that they are not allowed to do this. Any contractors are not allowed to do it. There are supposed to be preventative measures in place to prevent people from getting sick. Essentially, they're supposed to follow American standards with regard to trash disposal. And in most recent conflict, a lot of people are calling it the second Gulf War, but um, the contractor, which was KBR, mm-hmm. did not follow any of those edicts that are set down under American laws. And they were open air burning everything. And I do mean anything and everything. everything. Right. And using jet fuel, JP8, to ignite it. Mm. Um, the most famous one is the Balad burn pit. But uh, Camp Victory, which was the largest base in Iraq, had the biggest square footage one. And it was the longest running one because it was the longest base open. Um, That's been part of our problem is that they've only studied Balad rather than all the bases or specific locations other than Balad. You know, Lauren, from what I can tell and have heard from many vets, there were burn pits of various sizes at nearly every FOB. Yes. there. I traveled over the whole eastern third of Iraq on convoys, and I can tell you even from what are little called COPs, combat outposts, you know, they'd have 15 guys there. They open air burn trash. I have some really good pictures of one down in Yusufia at the south. And open-air burning of everything, um, what we call household trash, to batteries that have gone bad, to Mm. vehicle parts that are painted with carcinogenic paint, medical supplies, everything. Yeah, gosh, I remember doing this in the first Gulf War with with human waste. You know, then you're exactly right talking about the um, 
you're just dumping the diesel JP8 in, you know, and stirring it and keeping it going. And you're standing there. There's, you know, a six-person detail, and here we are standing there. You know, young troops, we don't know what the, the toxins that are inhaling, the toxins that are going into our skin. But, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. This should have been uh, monitored a lot, a lot more than it was. I'm just curious. In the beginning, when you saw these burn pits, etc., obviously the fumes were very toxic smelling and and, it, and were were violent, if you will. And did you have anything other than the little tiny mask that just the cloth masks? Was there any precaution taken in the early days or even later on? I don't know about anybody else, but we didn't even have cloth masks. Those mm-hmm. paper masks, mm-hmm. what we see in hospitals that doctors wear and such, though, that was an edict that actually came down from the Department of Defense, from the Joint Chiefs, in late 2008, when uh, after the first story that was done by Dan Rather uh, was done about the burn pits. And we started getting... Uh, we were, I was actually at the office that was handling all of the... Uh, RFQs and RFIs and everything for getting incinerators and the army's answer was well they can wear protective gear and the protective gear was these paper masks <laughs> which is ridiculous yeah no we didn't even have that I agree with you we we just we were just out there you know and no mask no nothing yeah well and and it seems as though this has been going on from the very beginning so this goes back to the early Gulf Wars and it goes back to they just don't know what's in each of these burn pits but we do know it's bad and so when you are coming back with symptoms are you evaluated for the lung symptoms right away and we'll talk further after the break about what happens when you do get evaluated but in the early days Lauren what was checked when you came back and and were there any uh, thoughts as to prevention or to ameliorate the symptoms? No, you're not. There's a standard post-deployment health assessment, the PDHA form. It's about a five page form that you fill out within your last 30 days before you leave country. And then you come home and you get a rudimentary physical and in some cases, they don't even do things like a chest x-ray or whatever, and then you're back to your job, or you go back to civilian life if you're a reservist. Uh, the problem was that they didn't do anything to check us when we got home, and in many cases, a lot of the diseases, uh, they progress very slowly. Uh, mm-hmm. The one I have, constrictive bronchiolitis, progress very slowly. In other cases, there are some extremely rare cancers that progress very rapidly. And I have two friends that both lost their husbands within the first year of coming home from deployment. Uh, Lauren, Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off here. We have to take a break right now. We're talking today about burn pits, very important topic that is not getting enough attention, and that's what we're trying to do today. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We're visiting with Lauren Price and Ben Krause. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. It's 
cats in U.S. households than any other pet. Most allurophiles or cat owners know that unlike dogs, taking Kitty for a ride in the car isn't any fun. I mean, you never see a cat hanging its head out the window, enjoying the breeze. Today's domestic cat is descended from a small Mid-Eastern wildcat. A group of kittens is called a kindle. And a group of adult cats is a clouder. What's the word for those dust balls composed entirely of cat hair? Fluffernugans. Personally, I like pigs better than either cats or dogs. Dogs are subservient and look up to man. Cats are aloof and look down on man. A pig, however, will look you in the eye and see as equal. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are delighted to have added Ben Kraus and Jesse Baca to the conversation. Ben, right before the break, Lauren mentioned some rare cancers that can also be caused by this, as well as chronic pulmonary disease and all kinds of respiratory conditions. Can you speak to that a bit? Uh, a little bit. I'm an, uh, an attorney and not a doctor or an oncologist, so... I'm not going to be able to give you uh, a deep scientific explanation of how this happens, but basically uh, a lot of the cancers that are occurring now with a fair amount of veterans that were exposed to the burn pits in, uh, in Balad and elsewhere uh, are believed to be the result of exposures to dioxins and, and uh, a variety of dioxins actually that were burned at that particular pit as well as some of the other pits uh, in Iraq. Uh, personally, we had a, a family member, Amy Muller, who passed away um, less than a year ago from pancreatic cancer, which is uh, quickly becoming one of the uh, more more uh, readily seen, I guess, cancers of, of veterans who were exposed to the burn pits. But yet, uh, a lot of the cancers, or actually practically every one of them, uh, is is not presently on any kind of presumptive list for the Department of Veterans Affairs related to uh, service connection for exposure yet. to these types of chemicals. Yet. You know, it, it, you're you're right. I mean, those kinds of cancers and these uh, lesions that are being seen in young vets are are really problematic. I mean, they go from, from uh, early onset dementia to the, all the respiratory conditions and and just simply lung capacity and quality of life is greatly impacted by all of this. Jesse, can you speak to what you believe is the, the cause of, of problems and, and how you were evaluated when you first returned? When I first started, it was back in 2004. Uh, before I deployed, I felt like I was absolutely 100% conditioned. Like I, I've never felt better in my life. And deploying, back from deployment, I felt it, uh, a decline. And you know, you start blaming uh, allergies and you get all the typical answers. But when PT scores went from very good to just barely squeezing by. I have, you know, been wrestling with that for quite a while, tried doing different workouts, it didn't, it just didn't seem to help. And then I developed uh, skin cancer right after that. I uh, got that taken care of, was released for, uh, go back on worldwide duty, I, I deployed a second time. You can Right back. But this time they came back a lot worse. Less? A lot Through the whole deployment, in the second round, I just, I was sick the whole time. Jesse, I'm so sorry, yes. but we can't hear you. Give me a second here. A lot of ambient noise. In the meantime, Ben. Yeah. Talk about the the dioxins and talk about how this can progress quickly 
or it can be latent and, and sort of come on insidiously. Well, what we're seeing is uh, a very similar replication of what we saw with Vietnam veterans and the dioxins that the uh, present war veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, those dioxins are, are very similar and even in some instances the same as what we were using and what was created through the use of uh, Agent Orange and related herbicides that we were using in Vietnam for the purpose of you know, essentially chemical warfare mm-hmm. on the people there as well as uh, for the purpose of herbicides. The uh, impact of those dioxins is, is very well studied. It's been studied for 80 years. Our uh, government continues to shirk its responsibilities and claim that we don't know what uh, the impact of those dioxins is going to be on the person's entire uh, bodily systems, organs, etc. But uh, the research is, is so voluminous that it actually requires a, a, a small library at USDA to uh, catalog everything. So as far as uh, VA and DOD's present claim that you know nothing is, is known or not enough is known about dioxins, we, we know more than we need to. In fact, about the the effects of those horrific toxins and how they affect the body. Now you know so, that. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Les. So you're talking about the, the toxins and in, in the burn pits, um, and they've been uh, the government knows about them. Is there is there a study or is there a registry going on with VA? Is there anything yes. there where they can connect? All everything, all the all the soldiers, all the service members that are having the same issues. Is, there, is there anything like that happening? So yeah, that's a go good ahead. question. The uh, Institute of Medicine performed a variety of studies on, on this and similar uh, maladies since Gulf War One. And uh, it's important to note that with respect to Agent Orange, when they created the uh, presumptive service connections in the '90s, the problem uh, that they ran into is, of course, that it's it's illegal to do the type of exposure studies to replicate exactly what soldiers were exposed to in Vietnam because, of course, we know that that's incredibly toxic and it's uh, far beyond the exposure levels that uh, Dow and and other companies were experimenting with and researching in their own factories. And so uh, they were mixing uh, these dioxins and TCDD and et cetera uh, to a level of 10 to 100 times what the uh, safe exposure levels should have been for those chemicals. Now, if you fast forward... To, <clears throat> to the 90s, in order to get service connection uh, through the presumptive model, they had to utilize uh, animal research in order to replicate the types of studies necessary to create an argument for and supporting causality. Now, in the late 90s, IOM, you know, that was, that was right around the time that they created the presumptive for uh, at least the initial part for Agent Orange. In the later 90s, the IOM removed... Uh, animal research from what it considered to be valid research for the purpose of drawing conclusions without any real basis because, of course, we know that animal research is used quite extensively. And, in fact, uh, very recently we know that the Department of Veterans Affairs is is engaged in kind of a public affairs mess where they were called out for the types of disgusting canine research that the VA wants to use uh, for the purpose of creating uh, patents and FDA approvals for private industry, including uh, Medtronic and other companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, with respect to that research, Secretary Shulkin uh, publicly lauded uh, the effectiveness and the validity of that same you know, animal dog research uh, at USA Today earlier in September. But when we look at creating, creating service connection for veterans and using that same type of research and that same type of reasoning about uh, validity and, and the use of animals, the VA, the Department of Defense, and the Institute of Medicine said that quite literally those same animal studies were invalid or not valid for the purposes of, of replicating human exposure, which seems to be absurd. And uh, following up on that, the IOM said it would be too expensive and difficult to uh, create that type of you know in, environment, supposedly, with inhalation, which we know is also uh, uh, false. So uh, when it became good for DOD and VA to keep costs down and cost of war down with respect to what they would allow for service connection, at that point they uh, said, again, animal research, including dog research, is no longer valid. But when it comes to doing research for private industry to support inventions by companies like Medtronic, uh, then suddenly that research is very valid. And, in fact, the VA will, will fight to uh, 
continue its you know small program with, at least res- with respect to dog research so um to your question about you know is the research out there yes it's out there uh will the institute of medicine department of defense and va consider it no they won't uh they Not want yet. exact research and, and numbers right. on soldiers when that previously wasn't the the metric or the bar used for agent orange however for whatever reason uh with respect to uh the iraq war and afghanistan war and, and burn pits uh, somehow they, they believe that should be the bar. And, of course, the reason they create that bar is because we know the evidence isn't out there for that specific thing and that they have to use other modes of causality, just like any other kind of chemical or dioxin-type research that the federal government allows to go on all the time. And, of course, now right. we know the VA is also doing it. But they don't right. want to use that research when it comes to service connection for veterans. Lauren and Jesse, have you registered with the burn pit registry and i have a personal experience with that i'll share after the next break but talk to me jesse have you been evaluated for the registry and lauren same thing same question go ahead jess we have been uh, i have registered but we haven't been evaluated okay lauren Uh, yeah i was one of the beta testers when they first developed the registry questions Mm-hmm. At the time there, I haven't looked at it since, but there were over 200 questions that they put in there. What I do know is from anecdotal information that's been supplied to my organization, they didn't change the questions much. Uh, they asked questions to the effect of, uh, where, did we like paint when we were a kid, you know, diagnosis, <laughs> things like that. Sorry. They, they wanted to know about our childhood, about our mother's pregnancies, things like this. They failed to identify questions that uh, were about our deployment locations, mm-hmm. our jobs when we were deployed, different things, tasks we accomplished. So that was bad enough. They wanted us to actually go do the live testing on our own dime. And then when they finally did get the registry up and running, I discovered through a FOIA that the doctors can only see a checkbox on the VISTA system that says you're registered. And the raters on the rating examiner side can only see that you're registered and that you answered the questions on the registry. It cannot see your responses. Therefore, they cannot use any of it for rating claims. In other words, this is a standalone registry that does absolutely nothing other than a placebo effect to shut everyone up. You know, well, and it's important we, to also uh, highlight ben, that I'm so sorry, I've got said to, the registry is useless. So ben, at least ben, for ben, the purpose of epidemiological studies. Because we're going on a break, and yes, you're right, we need studies. Um, I'll give you a personal experience of the registry and following it up and what happens once you have gone on it um, after we come to the break. But at this point, it is important to note that there is a process, but it goes nowhere at this point. And that's a real problem that we'll talk about more in the third segment. We're talking today about burn pits, the fact we're talking with Lauren Price, Ben Krause, and Jesse Baca, and we are very pleased to have your expertise on, and thank you for talking about this extremely difficult topic and your own conditions, and we'll be back after these messages, and you can find out more at militarynetworkradio.com. We'll be right back. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's 
found yourself on an airplane seated next to a non-stop talker that you really don't have anything at all in common with? When I fly, I usually want to catch up on my reading and not have to listen to an explaterator. It's even worse if they're a philodox. That's a person who just loves their own opinion. Well, now a Facebook app lets you choose your own seatmate before you fly. According to an article in USA Today, social media startups are bringing together compatible flyers before they take their seats. That's good news for people lovers, otherwise known as philodemics. A number of apps such as Plainly and Satisfy are helping travelers meet not only online, but in person. Think the match.com of travel. I love flying and have been to almost as many places as my luggage. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're talking about burn pits today, and I want to share an experience I had. Well, I think most of you know that I run VeteranCaregiver.com. So I work with a lot of vets and their caregivers who are being told to go join the registries. And I kept being asked, what happens after I use the registry or am evaluated by the environmental health coordinator? Or after you call the 877-222-8387 phone number that's listed on the VA.gov website. I was taken to seven different call centers when I said, okay, uh, here's who I am, this is what I do, and I need to find an answer on this uh, about what happens after the registry. And there was no one who could answer that question. I was shifted and shifted and shifted. Seven call centers, ultimately not called back by the seventh one, but did learn that your, uh, as Lauren mentioned, even if you register for the registry, none of your answers to the medical questions or even the history questions are put in your VA record. Therefore, they're not going to be looked at for ratings. They're not going to be looked at for and unless and until you have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD or emphysema or some increasing illnesses um, with ill health effects, it's not going to come out. And then oftentimes many of these call centers told me that, well, those are due to different conditions and we can't tease out what is burn pit exposure. I'd like your take on the fact that if you go through a registry and you go through an evaluation, and then it sits. What what would you recommend be changed? And, and do we have even enough time to put that on this show? Lauren, why don't you give that a go to start? The, the very first thing is we're actually, there's a, a group of us, a small group, that we're working on some congressional language. Uh, we've got some significant support in Congress to actually change this, and it's not just about putting presumptives. Mm-hmm. onto the schedule. Currently, the disease that I and Jesse have is not even on the rating schedule. It's not there. And I was diagnosed nine years ago. Um, it, it should be on there by now. And the disease is conclusively proven with a lung biopsy. The problem is, is that getting Congress at, to force the VA to do it. We're working on legislative language also to completely forbid the use of open-air burn pits ever again for more than a very short period of time because legitimately when you're in a combat zone, especially in a heavy fire zone, you have to have some means of disposal for trash and you can't wait for an incinerator to come in. So we're looking at a very short window of opportunity for them to use open air burn pits, you know, anywhere from two weeks to 30 days until they can get an incinerator in place. But that incinerators are mandatory. It's this stuff has to be changed at the legislative level. We have to force them into presumption. We have to force into adding specific things to the schedule because they will not rate. Jesse, I believe correct me if I'm wrong, got his rating actually says for constrictive bronchiolitis. Mine doesn't. Mine says I have an un, uh, unknown f- 
methodology, I forget what the term Ideal- is. Etiology. Thank you. Unknown etiology, asthma. I don't have asthma. I've had a lung biopsy that confirmed I have constrictive bronchiolitis. It's terminal. There's nothing they can do. But them putting it on my award letter does not mean I'm actually rated for it. And I, I've never been rated for it, and I won't be because it's not in the rating schedule. Mm. Jesse? Yeah, that's exactly what Lauren said. Mine says the same thing. And uh, basically what it was, just pulmonary disease with a with chemo, and that's what gave me the rating. We added the constricted bronchiolitis, but it isn't it isn't in the VA record at all. Mm. Or it's not it's not recognized. Let's put it that way. Right, and if it's not recognized, it doesn't exist according to the VA. Has, has um, just to follow up on that? Do has there been any reasoning? Has there been any um, word or, or has the VA came back and asked or give you a comment on why? It's not in the uh, schedule, the rating schedule. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't seen any explanation as to why. Ben, thoughts so, on that? Uh, VA, real quickly, VA basically claims that each case has to be evaluated in, on an individual basis, but it doesn't have the resources to do that. And uh, a big problem is that they don't provide the uh, evidentiary background or train the examiners uh, with respect to these particular conditions. And so veterans go in there trying to get the help that they need because they can't afford a, a private consultant or private expert, and the VA just lacks the resources and, and the wherewithal to provide a, a fair and contemporaneous exam. So, Ben, are they giving referrals to outside docs? They have the ability to do referrals uh, for complicated cases, but they, uh, as far as I know, they're not doing that. Nope. You have to, I had to, and I know Jesse did too, and, and there's probably about a thousand, well, we're probably up to about 2,000 now, right, Jess? Um, of us that have had to go to private doctors, either out of our own pocket or out of the generosity of nonprofits helping us to get to see private physicians. There are three in the country that are studying this disease, these lung diseases. Um, they refuse to give us referrals for them. They refuse to pay the medical bills for them or provide us with transportation or treatment. The VA hospital in Tampa flatly refused to even treat my medical condition with the rescue inhalers and such. So I'm forced to see an outside doctor and pay out of pocket for that. And that is part and parcel of the problem. Even when they actually agree that you have a problem is getting them to care for the veteran that has some bizarre cancer that came out of nowhere that's killing them rapidly or these bizarre lung conditions that are unheard of for, and 40 years ago was the last time they saw these lung conditions and they refuse to care for us but then they also refuse to pay the bills because our service connection does not say that it was mm-hmm. from the burn pits and that's the driving force behind this is getting those getting the VA and the DOD to acknowledge the, as Ben said earlier, 80 years of research by alphabet soup of agencies Mm -hmm. on what these things, these chemicals will do to people. And they want more studies. They want more research. They want another center of mediocrity. I'm sorry, center of excellence, they call it. Um, (laughs) They want another place to study. And that it is, this is literally textbook of what they did to Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. Yet we already know what dioxin exposure does. I have confirmed dioxin exposure and I have a lung condition and all these things, but yet they refuse to accept anybody outside of their own little bubble that anyone else's research or confirmed information. And that's where we have to start is we have to shove that down their throats, make them accept it, make them acknowledge it, and then push for the presumptives that will allow us to get the care that we deserve and have earned. So what numbers are we talking? Over 100,000 on the registry as of this week. Yeah, my later numbers were lower than that, so I'm glad that you mentioned that 100,000 number. Ben, you're an investigative reporter. What have you, have you written about the burn pits and this condition? So I've been teaching on the burn pits uh, with respect to county veteran service officers. I did talk with um, Secretary McDonald about burn pits uh, in light of uh, Amy Mueller's uh, illness. 
last year, he promised that the registry was supposed to be, you know, kind of the end-all be-all to help develop corollary information to develop causality. But uh, come to find out then, the IOM came back this February with its own opinion saying that the registry was essentially useless. Uh, all the promises that McDonald laid out to me the year prior uh, during our call uh, didn't didn't merit it. It just didn't work out. And so the VA has known this. They developed a deficient registry. They know that registries don't work. They sold that to the American public and to many uh, lawmakers, congresspersons, and, and senators. And uh, it just doesn't work. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It didn't do that with Gulf War. It didn't do that for the Vietnam registry. These registries don't work. They have the resources, plenty of resources to evaluate these conditions. Apparently, they also have dogs and other animals to evaluate you know, the, these conditions, and they just refuse to do it. It's obviously a, it, it's legislative, as Lauren has said, that it has to be followed up that way. And it's also something that seems to fall up between the cracks. You mentioned Secretary McDonald, and then, of course, now we have a new SEC VA. So if IOM says the registry is useless, the Institute of Medicine, and VA is not following up on it, what other than legislative means is there other than you know continuing to expose this issue when 100,000 veterans are affected? There's well, a the only other alternative is the courts. And um, very recently veterans just won the right to have a class action suit at the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. And uh, that is one channel which could force the VA to consider evidence that it is presently refusing uh, to consider through these other channels. Uh, so it would basically force the court to take notice that evidence exists and the VA is just disregarding the evidence in violation of its own rights. In the event that we are able to get that through, you could have a kind of Haas situation where veterans that did prove uh, presumptive essentially of Exposure uh, may down the road get uh, the presumptive service connection, which a lot of Vietnam veterans received and, and in, in turn won hundreds of thousands of dollars in back pay because the VA was uh, engaged in gross negligence or you know, willful misconduct and disregarding the evidence. And then, of course, you have documentaries, which uh, Lauren knows a lot about. Yeah, go ahead, Lauren. You can start now and then we'll continue it after the break. Delay, deny, hope you die. And it's a standing joke that Vietnam-era veterans have hung on the VA for years. Um, but is now the title of a documentary done by a filmmaker out of Holland named Greg Lovett and Morningstar Media. They put together a very powerful, very fact-based documentary about the burn pits and Sadly for the VA and the DOD, it does not paint them in good light because it is fact-based. It's based on the fact that, just as we've discussed here, they refuse to accept outside studies. They refuse to acknowledge that we're dying. More to come. Yeah, let's come back to that. We're going on our last break, and we're continuing our discussion on the facts and the future Burn Pits is the topic of today. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We'll be back after these messages. Don't go away. You need to hear more about this. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. is National Chocolate Month. Historians say the Aztecs discovered chocolate 3,100 years ago, and it was revered to the point of worship. The word chocolate comes from the Aztec word chocolatl, which referred to the bitter, spicy drink the Aztecs made from the cacao beans. The first chocolate bar was invented in 1847 by Joseph Fry. Did you know that it takes one year for a cacao tree to produce enough pods to make 10 chocolate bars? The scientific name for the tree that chocolate comes from, Theobroma cacao, means food of the gods. Man cannot live by chocolate alone, but we women sure can. Personally, I could give up chocolate, but I'm not a quitter. Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. 
Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're talking again about burn pits. Lauren, right before the break, you mentioned the documentary that's coming up. Tell about the importance of that, where it will be shown, how people can get access to that, and what you're hoping to do by really sharing and showing the light on top of this very difficult condition. The, I honestly, because I can't speak for Greg Lovett, but I've had numerous conversations with him, and he decided to do a documentary about the war, but really not about the war itself. And what he wanted to see was the after effects. And the more people he interviewed in preparation to do the movie, it was discovered that basically about every third one was sick or had died. And just a one last reach back to the registry. One of the key factors about it is those who have passed away, they are not, their families are not allowed to put them on the registry. So we have a whole massive handful of people and we don't even know what the numbers are, but I'm guessing somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 people that have died and they aren't even on that registry. So they're, their diseases and illnesses they contracted from their service isn't even going to show up if and when we can ever convince Congress to force the VA into using the information out of that registry that they created. This documentary, as Greg was building it, he really started focusing on the burn pits because he saw such a wide array of diseases, some of them almost inexplicable why this completely healthy person who would leave on a combat deployment and come back dying and you didn't get shot you didn't step on a mine you didn't get an IED but you are dying and Greg's done a very powerful job on this documentary again it's called Delay Deny Hope You Die which is a nod to our Vietnam veteran brothers and sisters because that is what their their term for the VA has been for 40 years. And we're now dealing with the same thing. Dioxins are the base chemical that is killing all of us. Um, you go to tug.com, T-U-G-G.com, and put in the title of the movie, Delay, Deny, Hope You Die. And you can find a location where the screenings are being held around the nation. They're in most major cities. Um, They are kind of crowd sharing. The theaters won't show these documentaries unless the tickets are pre-sold. So uh, for Tampa, we're still looking for 75 tickets to be sold. We had a very high bar to meet on that location. We're setting up ones for other locations in Florida. There, I know that there are several in uh, the Arizona and Ohio that have already met their criteria that are definitely open and have still have some tickets available. But I'd strongly recommend that any soldier, veteran, or their family, or even just an interested supporter that's interested in seeing what the facts are about what we've dealt with over the last 12 years, go watch this movie because there's going to be a lot of information, not just about how the VA's ignored us in spite of, uh, I was trying to get another guest on here. Is He's a former policy director at the VA. His name is Kerry Baker. He's now an attorney in private practice. In 2010, Mr. Baker wrote the policy that governs how the VA is to A, care for us that are coming back with burn pit exposures, and B, the how the raters are supposed to rate our conditions and essentially the directive treats us like we're presumptive. It's called the environmental training letter. And I did post it here so you guys can hang it later. Uh That came out April 26th of 2010. The first eight pages of it specifically talk about the chemicals and our illnesses from the burn pits. Everybody knows about this letter because of camp Lejeune. Because in that same letter, it was discussed about the Camp Lejeune water right. contamination. Right. Yet, even legislators I've spoken with, I've sat in their offices, and they had no idea that that same policy applies to the burn pits. So, Lauren, how many don't know 
that they may have burn pit exposure issues. Sounds to me like some of these illnesses could be treated as respiratory conditions. I know some foreign dust storms and the unusually small sand particles cause these illnesses, you know, apart from burn pits. How many do not even connect their service with their conditions? Millions. Known? Absolutely millions, because we had millions of soldiers over there over the course of the wars. And I will tell you, uh, two out of my three sons served in Iraq and Afghanistan. My husband served in Iraq. My husband has a strange skin condition that we actually call it the Iraq itch because it comes back every single year, exactly the same place. And it first identified in Iraq. Um, no doctor in the United States has been able to find out what it is. And they also have not found any cure for it. They've tried all kinds of medications to ease the itching. Mm-hmm. But there are literally millions of soldiers out there and that have no idea they were exposed. Either they don't know they were exposed or they weren't told about it. And they weren't told about what the hazards were. We knew the hazards of getting shot and getting blown up. We didn't know that literally breathing every day was going to actually be what killed us. How many, we, we talked about how many soldiers, or Linda asked a question about how many don't know. The I, The question I have then too is, is this, can this, um, this exposure to the dioxin, like you're saying, can it be passed down to the children of service members? Dioxins, PCBs, and PCEs are known genetic altering drugs. These chemicals, they know for a fact already, because of all this longitudinal research that's been done after Vietnam, that those three chemicals will pass on genetically. Now, the dioxin, everybody, most people who, especially anyone on social media, knows about the chemical problems that have been passed through DNA to Vietnam veteran children. That's from dioxins. And dioxin is not just in Agent Orange. It's in a multiple different kinds of harsh chemicals. PCBs and PCEs are from burning plastic and burning styrofoam, which when you think about the numbers that were over there during Iraq alone, never mind Afghanistan, we use plastic water bottles to drink from every single day to the tune of millions and millions and millions of pounds of it. Styrofoam container, same thing. Those chemicals get into your and alter your DNA. So we have soldiers coming home, especially the young ones that are having children. And I can tell you, I know one soldier that's had, um, he has three children, and one of which, his first child, after he got home from Iraq, or from Afghanistan, um, was born with profound, severe autism. And, you know, this. this is... There was a there was a study done right after the first Gulf War, and it was actually written about in Life magazine. Uh, exactly what you're saying, children, they were coming home, and all my personal, I had a personal connection. My friend had his son was born, his face was um, kind of diagonal, and his esophagus wasn't attached to his his stomach, plus some other ailments. So, I've I've had a personal experience with exactly what you're saying. This genetics being passed down. It was it was happening right after the first Gulf War. I mean, it, it is known that the first Gulf War and this this war is the most toxic war we've ever fought. I mean, we're we're fighting several fronts here. Yeah, I don't understand, and it's the part that makes my head hurt the most. Is as Ben said, I, I'm going to keep pounding this down because it's the biggest problem we face. Is that there's decades and decades and decades of conclusive research that prove that these chemicals are toxic to humans. And as Ben said so eloquently, they can't even reproduce the testing because they know they'll kill us. They'll kill the test subjects trying to reproduce what we were exposed to. It's unethical so, to do studies like that. Right. Yeah, it's unethical to do it, but it's it's immoral, unethical, and frankly soulless to not acknowledge that same testing criteria and those same test results when we show you that for a fact these chemicals are out there and that we were exposed. Right. Ben, have you written about that aspect of things, the genetic disposition to pass down the teratogenic effects? 
So I've been looking into that as it relates to JP8 because JP8 was the uh, universal accelerant for most of these burn pits, and it was also uh, mixed with Agent Orange in Vietnam. So what we're looking at with even just JP8, right, um, when it's inhaled over certain periods of time, they have done studies that replicate its uh, effect on um, soldiers on the flight line, uh, female pregnant uh, airmen uh, working on the flight line. And so they replicated that, and uh, they did conclude through uh, mice studies and rat studies that there is a, a epi-mutagenic uh, uh, issue where um, you're, you may not have an effect, but your kids and your kids' kids, you know, three generations down, uh, may have may be smaller. It'll affect their immune system. Uh, it'll, it'll affect the, um, the sperm of, of, you know, your grandkids. So that was in every burn pit. So we know that much. We know, if nothing else, we definitely know that JP8 was used. It was inhaled. It was uh, the accelerant on top of these dioxins and other, you know, chemicals. And so um, in that capacity... We at least know that the immune system uh, might be compromised for uh, our grandkids. Well, and I want to make sure, because we're running out of time, that there are some resources we can send our listeners to for more um, that uh, Lauren does with Veteran Warriors. You can go to veteranwarriorsadvocacy.com. For Ben and his advocacy, you can go to disabledveterans.org. For the documentary, Tug, T-U-G-G dot com. And Jesse has a Facebook group for this condition and for those families to be able to unite and to share stories and, and help one another. Les, would you like to add something to the end of the show so that we make sure we've gotten everybody's points in? You know, as I was listening to all this, Linda, I, I'm just sitting here in awe. You know, I'm, I thank God we have people like Ben and Lauren to expose this. Jesse, I, I, you know, just heartbreaks what you're going through, and and you too, Lauren, and your family. Um, you know, my I, I've been exposed to it through friends. I have not. I don't have that. You know, we know through other shows that it's the, like I said earlier, is the most toxic war we've ever fought, and we're seeing time after time again. It, it's frustrating to me listening to this, knowing the VA knows what's going on, our government knows what's going on, but yet they do nothing. And I, I, as everybody was talking, I'm, as a veteran, I'm just disgusted. I, I'm, my, I'm just shaking my head. I feel my face getting red because I'm so upset about this. You know, just we got to take action, you, whether it's congressional action or, or whether we band together. See this, seeing this movie would be great. Thank you for everybody for giving um, their their contact information or their websites or even J- Jesse's Facebook sites. So we can all share in this frustration, and we got to make something happen. We've got to band together and get this taken care of. Roger that. For tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash military network radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 